What's it like to be alive right now? What's it like to try and find anything normal in a shelter-in-place, mandatory quarantine, COVID-19 kind of world? With crisis, it, it really gets people to think uh, when before they had you know, their, their plans, they had their answers, they had their solutions, but now nobody has it. This is the first in a special Coronavirus Stories of Hope series. In this episode, how one simple call for help suddenly and unexpectedly became something much bigger. It just grew from, let's provide for 50 of the people that we knew to where it grew to 200, and now it's up to 1,000. We'll tell the story of how churches in Southern California are bravely and creatively sending relief to the most vulnerable people in their community. And also this. What are some simple things that you would suggest for people just to be aware of? What are some things that would help them? Just some simple things. From Sin Relief, expert real life advice on how you can help people in your world find courage and hope in a frightening time. This is a special Stories of Hope, episode 29, The Age of Coronavirus. Kirk Overstreet looks for people. That's his thing. He's part of a ministry outside Los Angeles called Set Free. And Kirk has spent most of his adult life doing what Set Free does, searching for the people who need the most help, and then helping them. We've been doing that for years with the homeless, the drug addicts, the gangs. And we've been doing that for a long time. But now the the ones that are... Uh, really in need are the seniors. They're the high-risk population during this COVID-19 crisis that we're all under. Kirk also works as a church plant catalyst in Southern California. That means he helps missionaries there start new congregations. And just a few days ago, he got a call for help from one of those church planters named David. This is Kirk's first-person account of all the things that happen next. The city of La Mirada, when this all hit, the the city was getting inundated with all kinds of phone calls requesting, can you look out for the seniors? Uh, we know that people can't get out. Long lines in supermarkets, they don't want to go out. Is there a way you guys can help them? And the first thing they thought of was David Newman, uh, who just planted Neighborhood Life Church in the city. So they reached out to him. And Pastor Dave said, yes, I'll, I'll do whatever I can. And so they built a relationship um, months before this happened to where when this did happen, they knew who to call. So they got the, the food in bulk and uh, we needed volunteers to bag it up. So he called a, 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 for volunteers to show up at a certain time. And so uh, some individual business people and a few other churches in the neighborhood um, caught on to this as it went on Instagram and Facebook and all other areas of platforms that people were learning about it. And it just grew from, let's provide for 50 of the people that we knew to where it grew to 200. Now it's up to a thousand plus. And then other cities learned about what they're doing. And so they've been requesting for Pastor Dave to do all this, and he realized I can't do this all. So he reached out to me, and 
we started developing other partners in different cities and saying, this is what you can do. You can partner with your city, find out where the seniors are first and where there's some need. And then let's, let's partner with the local uh, grocery store outlet is a chain out here that has um, built a, a partnership with them to do this. And so uh, we do assembly line, bag them. And then from there, um, we'd have a list of addresses. So that worked really well. Uh, what we would also do is when we deliver these to the very uh, various areas and individuals, we'd ask if we can pray how they're doing. And there was just always tears uh, from the, the, the men and women um, that would receive these items. And we were with a, a gentleman and when we showed up with that food yesterday, um, he was very thankful, but that gave us an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And uh, he, he was receptive to us praying with them and he was pretty you know trying to be you know prideful and and hard at the time that we first met and you know you can see that he was humbled that he had to ask for food but after the prayer he just wept like a baby but we let him know hey you're not alone in this you you have brothers you have family you have the church when we share the gospel with somebody when they're in crisis they're more receptive to hope they're more receptive to uh, the, the nature of God's love for them. Uh, when before they had, you know, their their plans, they had their answers, they had their solutions, but now nobody has it. But if you look to Jesus, he does have the answer. And so we need to be ready for after this crisis is done because that's when great revival happens. So after this pandemic happens and we, we get out of this, I, I'm hopeful that there's going to be a big wave. So we need to be prepared for that. That is Kirk Overstreet, a church plant catalyst in Southern California. If you want to know more about the kind of ministry the churches in La Mirada are doing, go to sinrelief.org. And now, part two of today's program, Trauma 101. In the age of coronavirus, ministry might be your church feeding a thousand senior citizens. Or it might just be you walking alongside one scared, stressed out, traumatized friend. Sin Relief Missionary Taylor Field leads the Graffiti Baptist Center in New York City, and Kareem Gubron is a Christian counselor who's worked with the City of New York, with churches and Baptist associations. He even led graffiti's post-9-11 recovery ministry. A few days ago, Kareem and Taylor connected to talk about hope and comfort and peace, and how any believer can demonstrate those qualities even in the age of coronavirus. Here's Taylor Field. So I just want to jump right into this and just think, you know, we're in a, we're in a crisis right now. And I, I just would like you to talk, you and, I, uh, you and I, we took a number of traumatology classes and thinking about trauma with different people as we have walked people through a really difficult times. Uh, maybe, would you be willing just to say a word or two about how you understand trauma and how you think that this global epidemic is traumatic for many people now? Yeah, I mean, uh, the dictionary definition for trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. And, uh, you know, we worked a lot with people who've experienced, you know, childhood trauma, you know, children who've been abused or neglected, you know, adults who've had violence in their life is a certain kind of trauma. But um, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience is certainly what the world is experiencing right now. You know, uh, any event 
that alters your present experience and even more so causes a fear or anxiety about could things get worse. Um, that is traumatic. Of course, 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy had a momentary event that people were traumatized by that event. But the ongoing trauma beyond that, I think, was the worry and the anxiety. Could it happen again, a terrorist event? Or, you know, could another superstorm happen? So I think we are experiencing uh, the trauma of anxiety, you know, and there's, there's a lot of loss besides the worry of what might happen. People are losing jobs. People are concerned for their own health, seeing loved ones uh, deeply affected by uh, the virus in terms of their own health. So I think, yeah, this is a trauma and trauma is how you receive it, certainly. So some people might feel more traumatized um, than others, but it's not to minimize anyone's experience. Everyone is simultaneously experiencing this trauma, and uh, I think we have an opportunity to help them through it. You know, and I just think about now, it's not only the fear of health challenges for yourself, for a loved one, but also, uh, you know, uh, job security and all kinds of things going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, what I've noticed even in this crisis, uh, you know, like people are wired differently. I'm wired differently than you are. We both know that very well. But I realize that it's almost like a death in a way what's happening. It's people grieve in different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I th that's important for pastors and Christian leaders to remember that, right? That I may be doing okay, but the other person may be grieving or dealing with things in a, in a, in a very different way. Is that fair to say? And if it is, what helps us try to listen to people? Yeah, no, I think you said it well, Taylor. And um, I've learned in my life that the greatest thing I've ever said is to say nothing at all. That it's not some insight you bring to someone in their trauma that helps them in there. It's being present with them and just listening. You know, we learned a lot from North American Mission Board chaplains and others across the country who came after 9-11. Um, and it was about this ministry of presence. It was about just being there for people and listening to their story, letting them share their own story, not trying to one-up their story. Oh, you lost your job at 9-11? Well, I lost my job and I got injured at 9-11. You know, it's not what you have to say as much as being present for others as they process their own trauma. You're the one I quote all the time when you say the three most important things about counseling. You wanna be a good counselor, you need to learn three things. Listen, listen, and listen. You know, and you said something that, uh, you know, we learned a lot of things together, but you, you mentioned something that really struck me in some of the traumatology classes, and that is um, uh, people don't need to hear another, a better story. You have a grandmother that has coronavirus. Well, I have two um, relatives that have coronavirus. They don't need to hear that. And so I wanna ask you this now, uh, what are some simple things that you would suggest for people just to be aware of as people that may be traumatized or maybe really just um, in grief? What are some things that would help them? Just some simple things. Yeah, um, here are some things that, that drove me a little nuts the first time I heard it because, you know, we want to rush in and fix and help uh, and want to be selfless and care for others. So when we first learn traumatology, the very first things we have to be mindful of is uh, our own self-care. Um, because there's something that we learned also uh, through these traumas from chaplains who said that one of the greatest things we offer to people 
is a non-anxious presence. Uh, we don't have great words of wisdom, but just our presence in a calm way. That non-anxious presence is a gift. So self-care, I think offering a non-anxious presence, I think that ministry of presence, just being with people, not just in that moment, but can I follow up with you next week? Can we keep in touch? I think those are some important first things. But I think that listening, back to that listening, is letting them tell their story. Let their story be the word of the day. and let, Because there's something that I think when feelings are suppressed, um, all the talking at them in the world is not letting out their emotion. But if you let them talk, that feeling that was repressed, that caused the person to be depressed, can actually uh, find healing if it is expressed. So this idea of, you know, you hold that trauma or that grief or that loss in, it will hurt you. But if we can walk alongside people, just give them a place to express that pain, that loss, that grief, um, they'll find healing. That'll be a part of how God heals them. You know, that's very helpful. And I'm just thinking through some of the things you've talked about, self-care, the power of listening, the non-anxious presence. If you could tell someone listening one thing, that's the most important thing for them to remember of all the things we've talked about, what would you say that would be? I was going to say listening, but I guess we said that in some ways. I would just say be there. And what I mean by that is you're not going to always get it right. Sometimes you're going to talk too much and not listen enough. You know, sometimes uh, you're going to say, well, I know how you feel when you really don't know how they feel. You know, so you're going to make mistakes. But if you're there with a person through trauma, not just that one moment, but you walk alongside them, you know, you won't always get to listen, but you're there. You walk alongside. I, I think as we think about that, I'm just the, the last thing I want to just take a moment and, and talk with you about is that um, we are here to share the uh, the grace and mercy of God with people. And, uh, you know, of course, Sin Relief says, uh, you know, meet a need and build a relationship and uh, and then share the gospel of the good news. Any thoughts on on sharing that with people in, in challenging situations? Yeah, I think, like you said earlier, Taylor, everyone is different. And I, I feel like you have to trust the Holy Spirit to lead you on the how. When I do uh, talk to folks about trauma or about listening, um, I I used to just, you give me a problem. I'm just going to tell you, Jesus is the answer, and you need to accept him. And I was so quick to speak that I feel like I missed the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead them. So the way I've been trying to lean more is just listen, just listen, just listen, be there. And then inevitably they will ask, well, you know, what's, what's the answer? Like, where's God in this? And isn't there spiritual help available? Don't you work at the church? I feel like when it comes from the Holy Spirit leading them to ask, you're, you're meeting the need. You're giving them what they've asked for. So I guess I'm trying to let listening lead me and the Holy Spirit lead that person to ask about the spiritual. But I think everyone's different. Some people are just called to be evangelists and that's the first thing they'll say. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think that's God leading that person to be bold. I just think for me, my experience and in trauma, if we can slow that down a little bit to just listen first so that they're asking for it. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's good. Listen. So they're asking for it. And I got to get philosophical on you. You know, I'm, you know, this is what I read this morning and I've just been thinking about as a Christian philosopher, he said, people always find unbelievable answers to questions. They're not asking. 
So I just, I always, I think you're right. We just have to be sensitive to those times. And, um, and, and if I could, I mean, dare, dare I push it further. Most of the time, a theological question asked in trauma is not a theological question. It's asking, will you be there for me, even if we don't agree? Will you be there for me, even if I'm confused? Can you handle my pain and even my doubt? And if we say, I can handle it, I'm here for you, that's a great question. I struggle with that too. Then we're on the journey with them. That's a powerful word, Kareem, and good for me to hear. Uh, God bless you and your ministry there. Thank you, Taylor. This has been Stories of Hope from Sin Relief. Today's episode, The Age of Coronavirus. This is the first in a special Stories of Hope series about how churches and missionaries are responding to the coronavirus pandemic. Coming up in the next episode, when COVID-19 forced colleges and universities to close, international students in Nashville were left with no place to go. Or at least they were until families at one church volunteered to help out in a radically sacrificial way. I look at that and I go, that's a, that's a display of generosity and compassion and love. And it's hard to imagine a more sort of concentrated display of, of gospel than that. We'll tell the story of what happened when people at Emmanuel Nashville decided to show extreme Southern hospitality. Next time on Stories of Hope. If you'd like to hear more stories like these, you can subscribe to the Stories of Hope podcast. When you do so, you'll automatically get a new episode every time one is released. Go to Apple or Spotify podcasts and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you liked what you heard here, please rate us and leave a review. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. We'll be back in just a few days with part two, The Age of Coronavirus on Stories of Hope.